Prologue, Amazon Guide. When I entered the cheap rooming house in Quito, I could tell that the group of students I was about to lead into the Amazon jungle had little idea of the genuine adventure they were launching into. From the casual way they were sprawled around the low-budget hostel, I was also convinced they did not realize the risks involved. An adjunct professor from the University of Washington had asked me if I would take a group of college students into the territory of the notorious Warani tribe. The U.S. Embassy had told him he could no longer take student groups into the northern Ecuadorian jungles because of the increased threat of kidnappings by Colombian terrorists. After spending a day outfitting the group with some necessary equipment, whittling down their personal effects to a fraction of what they expected to take with them, and buying provisions, we were as ready as we were going to be to leave the world of roads, stores, hospitals, radio, TV, public transportation, restaurants, and English, or any other major language. I was not going to be trekking into the jungle with the group. I was going to turn them over to three friends from the tribe. I was the group's pilot. While they were slogging over muddy trails, ever on the lookout for giant anacondas, poisonous snakes, and tarantulas, I would be flying our provisions and their personal belongings into the last Quechua village before we entered Waurani territory. The next morning, I flew them in twos from Pitacocha to Canoeno, the nearest village in Waurani territory. At Canoeno, a delegation of Waurani was waiting with dugout canoes to pull the group and our provisions down the Iwauno River, or the Kururai on maps, to the primitive Waurani-style village they had built for the group. By the time we arrived at Camp Wa'aponi, or Camp I Like It, the sophisticated intellectuals from a distant world were clearly in awe of the fearsome virgin paradise they had entered. As the sun was beginning to set and night creatures and insects were tuning up for the evening symphony, I joined a group of students in Waurani who were sitting together by a fire. One of the girls in the visiting group turned to me with a question. In uh, preparation for coming here, she began, I did some research for the paper I have to do about this trip. I discovered that there is a notoriously violent tribe of people living someplace out here. Would you ask the Waurani if they know who those people are? I thought she was putting me on. The Waurani had once been called Alcas, a derogatory term that means naked savage, and carries with it the connotation of questionable humanity. The name Alka is a demeaning, though perhaps not undeserved, term that I never use except to clarify that the Alkas and the Waurani are one and the same. They have been classed by anthropologists as probably the most violent society ever studied. Before missionaries made peaceful contact with them, the homicide rate within the tribe was over 60%. I told her, the people you are describing would be the Waurani. She clearly thought I didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, the people I'm referring to became world famous for killing five North American missionaries who tried to befriend them in 1956. Uh, the story was broadcast around the world by radio, uh, appeared in a series of newspaper articles in the United States, Canada, and Europe, and even made it into Life magazine and Reader's Digest. It was apparent she wasn't going to accept my word for it, so I suggested she ask the Waurani themselves. Just ask any of the adult Waurani here where their fathers are. I told her how to say, Bito miempo ayamuno, which means, your father, where is he being? She seemed to wonder what this had to do with her question, but she picked out one of the Waurani men who was enjoying our English gibberish and asked him. He answered simply, Dubai. I explained to her that the word means already. His father was already dead. I added, did he get sick and die or did he die old? 
the warrior snorted at my ridiculous question and clarified with dramatic gestures that his father had been killed with spears. Did he just say what I think he said? The girl asked. Was his father speared to death? Who would do such a terrible thing? I informed her that the only people I knew of in Ecuador who had speared anyone in the 20th century were Warani. I didn't expect her to take my word for it, and she didn't disappoint me. One of the other students picked a Warani woman and asked her the same question. Same answer. After one more try with similar results, two girls in the group asked me to ask Minkai's wife Umpode the question. From the whispering I overheard, I gathered that they were sure someone as loving and as sweet as Umpode couldn't have been traumatized by something as horrible as the vicious murder of her father. But Umpode answered, My father, my two brothers, she counted them on her fingers, my mother and my baby sister, there seemed to be more, but she stopped there. All of them were speared to death and hacked with machetes. Then she pointed at the oldest warrior in the camp, who was quietly sharing a stump with one of the young male visitors. Furious and hating us, Dabo killed us all. My feisty tribal grandmother knew what the question was, so she decided to give her answer. She told how her family had been ambushed by another clan of Warani. When the spearing was over, only she and another girl who was just reaching marriageable age were left alive. When she finished her narrative, which I hardly needed to interpret because her pantomime was as clear to the students as her words were to me, she pointed to one of the warriors I was sitting with and stated matter-of-factly, he killed my family and made me his wife. One of the girls in the group stammered, How could she possibly live with the man who had killed her whole family? I explained that the other girl who was kidnapped with Dawa was overheard complaining about her family being speared. One of the raiders ran a spear through her, and they left her on the trail to die an agonizing death alone, with no one to even bury her body. I explained it wasn't like Dawa had much of a choice. Then it occurred to me that these young people did not know my relationship to the tribe. I was sitting between Dawa's husband, Kimo, and Minkai, who had adopted me into his family when I was a boy. Both of them had speared those missionaries to death back in 1956. Dewey was sitting across the circle from me. He had been part of that killing raid as well. They speared my father, too, I informed the group. I had my arm around Kimo, and Minkai was leaning on me and holding my hand in the familiarity that Waurani men feel free to express. My father, I told the young lady who had started this conversation, was one of those five missionaries you referred to. <laughs>